that you have to encourage you to know what it means beyond a shadow of a doubt. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life with him. But if you're here and you, you're, you're, I know that, I, I know I, I have faith in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm trusting in him. I know that Jesus is my salvation. He's my all. He's my everything. I lay down my life for him. Then the rest of the text bears out, okay, then here's how you should be living your life. The end of all things is at hand. Here's what you need to do. Number one, keep sane and sober. Keep sane and sober, because that's, that's what it says in, in the verse. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. You guys know that when it comes to the end times, people will tend to respond one of two ways. One way is they lose their minds and they go crazy, and they become fanatics, right? You ever, you ever, maybe you've done that yourself. Uh, you came to faith in Christ, and you heard about the Lord's return, you're so excited about it. It's all you can think about. Uh, you're obsessed with it. Uh, you're preoccupied with it. You get swept away by it. Uh, Millard Erickson calls it eschatomania. Uh, eschatology is the study of last things. So eschatomania, just, just this obsession, this preoccupation with the Lord's return. Uh, so much so that you fail to live out the responsibilities of the present. You're so focused upon that, uh, you miss the here and the now, and you miss opportunities to be serving and to be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, uh, Peter writes, be self-controlled, which is to say, don't panic. Don't freak out. Stay calm. Keep perspective. Let the Word of God ground you. Have a sound mind. Have a biblical perspective. Don't get swept up in emotions and passions. Don't be moved about by your feelings. Again, stay grounded. Be self-controlled, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But then there's another way. We don't become fanatical. We go the other way with it. We're so prone to the pendulum swing, right? So instead of being fanatical, we become complacent. We rarely, if ever, think about end times. We rarely, if ever, think about the fact that the Lord is coming and it's next in his program. It doesn't figure into how we spend our money or use our time or, or live and move and have our being. And we are very complacent. If that's you, in fact, just ask yourself, how often this week did you think about the fact that the Lord could return any day? How often was that on your mind? Was it at all on your mind? Did it, did, was it on your mind as you spent your money? Was it on your mind as, as you did whatever you did, as you're at work, as you're reading? If that's you, if you become complacent, what, Paul, what Peter says in our text is be sober-minded. Now, the opposite of being sober is being what? Drunk, right? Here he says sober-minded. Uh, so Peter is warning against mental drunkenness, mental intoxication, uh, being obsessed with things that inhibit spiritual alertness, uh, wasting time thinking about things that have no eternal uh, meaning or value, an addiction to things that, again, inhibit spiritual alertness. That is a major warning for our day and age because we are quite literally, and this is an awesome book if, if you ever read it. It was written quite a few years ago. The guy was something of a prophet way ahead of his time. The book that's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. That was before internet. He wrote that book. He used to talk about TV. We are amusing ourselves to death. We are living in a distracted world. 
We are very much mentally intoxicated, inundated with, with images and information 24-7, right? As it beams at us through our screens. And it causes us to become complacent. We get so fixed on the here and now, we don't think about the eternity before us. And so uh, as we think about the fact that the end is near, we must neither be eschatomaniacs. It's a fun word to say, eschatomaniacs. And we can neither be complacent. We must be sane and sober-minded. What else? We should also be people of prayer. The end is near, so pray. That's what verse 7 says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be sane. Be sober. Don't be an eschatomaniac. Don't be complacent. Be sane. Be sober so that you can stay awake for your prayers, so your prayers can be focused, so you don't daydream and, and flit and float through, through life, that you're focused, you have biblical perspective, you see things as they really are, and so your prayers are laser-focused. And you pray much as, as you see things kind of going crazy and you're prone to want to be worrisome or anxiety-filled. What you do is instead you pray much. You see things as they really are and you desire to pray. Now Peter doesn't tell us what to pray for, but there's a lot of things we should be praying for. And I would say, number one, what we should be praying for is for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded in Scripture, in the Psalms, to pray for the peace of what? Jerusalem, right? We are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Look, there's going to be no peace in Jerusalem until the Lord Jesus Christ returns and sits on his throne in the kingdom of the new, the new Jerusalem. So to pray for the return of Jerusalem is to pray for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read through the book of Revelations, remember how the book of Revelation ends? It ends with John saying, even so, what? Come, Lord Jesus. It ends with a prayer, come, Lord Jesus. And Paul, the apostle, the end of 1 Corinthians 16, he ends that letter by crying out, Maranatha. You ever see churches named Maranatha? Or some days past, there was a, a hymn book or a praise book called Maranatha. You know what Maranatha means? Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. That's, that's, that's the idea. Come, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and so we, we pray for his return. As we pray for his return until that day, we should pray to be alert to Satan who seeks to overwhelm us. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Uh, so as we see that the end of all things is near, we must be aware that Satan is prowling, seeking to devour, to destroy, to divide. And so we pray for ourselves and one another that we might stand firm and resist and glorify the Father as we await the return. We pray that we will endure, that we'll finish the race strong. We pray for our lost loved ones, our co-workers, uh, who have just heard about in verse 5, Jesus is ready to return and to judge, and our hearts immediately are broken and burdened for our lost friends and family and neighbors, yes? So we pray for their salvation, 
They come to faith in Christ as you share the gospel with them, or, or maybe a loved one or a coworker or someone shares the gospel with them. Pray for one another. The end is near. Pray for and with one another. Pray for one another to be sane and sober. Pray for one another to lay hold of God's promises. Pray for one another to have that laser focus that the end of all things is, is near. Pray for that to motivate and inspire and encourage to serve him. Pray for these ministries. Uh, when you guys make your way back there, we have a little pamphlet. Well, it's not little. It's, it's actually pretty thick. Uh, that, that Gina and Brianna, the Lord bless them, uh, worked on many, many hours uh, to get done. To, it gives an overview of all of our ministries that are back there. So don't leave without that. But underneath every ministry, there's two or three blank lines with a question that says this, how can I pray for you? So please take that back there with you and go to all those tables and ask them, how can I pray for you? Write those down. We gave you the blank. Let that become a prayer journal. Put that wherever it is you pray. If you pray in the morning or the evening or if you have a prayer journal in your Bible or a journal that you have, put it in there and systematically, faithfully pray for all those ministries. Here's another way to be praying. Tomorrow, Pastor Josiah and myself and Chuck, who's our pastoral intern, we're going to a place called the Oasis over in Richland. And we're going on an all-day prayer retreat tomorrow. And I'm excited about that. And we're going to be praying for one another and praying for this church. And by that I mean praying for you guys. But I want to know how to pray for you. So I'm going to ask that every single one of you, and I'm up here, I can see you, we got cameras. I'm going to ask every single one of you, reach in front of you, grab that prayer card, and write out a way you would like us to pray for you. Please do that. I don't see very many of you doing that. Grab that prayer card and fill it out. I don't care if it's a praise, if it's, or whatever it might be, or, or a, a salvation request, or, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I'm just so excited about this, i got to tell someone. Whatever you want to put on there prayer-wise, please take that, fill that out. You can leave it where you're sitting. You can give it to me. Or back in the ministry fair room in the gym, there's a table with a, with a little plastic bucket. You can put them in there. Okay? And tomorrow, we're going to pray for you. We pray for you often, but tomorrow is just going to be a really focused day of lifting those things up. So please, please do that. And again, if, if you forget or if you think of something else, oh, I wanted to put that, but I forgot. Again, it's back there also. There's all those sorts of cards. Fill them out. Someone needs a job to fill those in, right? Once we pull all those out, we, we need someone to volunteer to refill those cards. <laughs> That's good. Please, please, please do that so we can pray. So be sane and sober. Be praying. Number three, the end is near. What's verse eight say? Love, right? Above all, keep loving one another. What's it say? Earnestly, right? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe that needs to be your prayer request. Lord, help me to love so-and-so. Help me to love Pastor Andrew. <laughs> help me to love, love the person sitting next to me or behind me. Help me to love, and it notice it doesn't just say uh, like a wimpy love, love earnestly, which has that idea of like stretching every spiritual muscle in your body to love. Love others that way. 
Keep it at full force. Keep it stretched to the limit. Don't slack off on your love. Don't let your love cool. Keep it white hot. Above all, do this, Peter says, right? Why? Because in doing so, you are able to, uh, love was able to cover a multitude of sins. Think about that, right? Where love is lacking, all of a sudden every word that's spoken is viewed with suspicion. Right? If love's not there, then what people say, you begin to have, be suspicious of what they say, or every action people take is, is liable to misunderstanding, those, those kind of things. Conflict begins to abound. Where there's no love, conflict thrives. So above all, stretch every spiritual muscle to the limit to love others because that covers a multitude of sins. Again, without love, we are quick to judge others. Man, I know what you meant when you said that, right? Or I know why you really did that. Right? We start to become suspicious. Without love, we question people's motives. Quite frankly, when we do that, this is... This is probably an ouch, not an amen, that when we begin to do that, we're doing Satan's work for him. Right? When you start uh, being suspicious of people's motives, questioning why they do what they do, uh, Satan is called an accuser, right? He likes to accuse. When we start to, in our minds, or even verbally, accuse others of why they do what they do, when, when love is gone, we're doing Satan's work for him. And he can sit back and relax and get a laugh out of all of it, huh? You think you know why so-and-so did it. Christ knows so much better than you do why so-and-so did it. And Christ loves earnestly, so must you and I. Our hearts are dark. We think we know the, the darkness of others, the blackness of others. But Jesus loved us in the blackness of our sin, the darkness of our sin. And so he calls upon us to love earnestly as he has loved us. I heard someone recently say uh, that we have too many touchy people in the church. Too many touchy people in the church who are too easily offended or too easily upset. And when you think about First, first Peter 4, 8, where it says, love earnestly, Christians should not be touchy. Christians should love deeply. It should be very difficult to be offended as a Christian when it comes to our relationships with one another. We should love deeply, love earnestly, be willing to endure, not be defensive, not demand your rights, be quick to forgive, don't hold grudges, Shelter others from condemnation. That's, that's the idea that's there. No touchy-feely Christianity. Love others deeply, sincerely, earnestly. Not easily offended. Well, that's quite a bit already, huh? Sane and sober, praying, loving, earnestly. The next one, what's verse 9 say? Hospitality, huh? To love one another with hospitality. <clears throat> Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Darn it, without grumbling, it says. I thought I could get by that one, but it says, says I can't grumble when I do it. Then we start grumbling about grumbling. <laughs> In Peter's day, there is no holiday inn. 
or Comfort Suites or Radisson or, or whatever. There were inns. Don't get me wrong. There were inns, but you did not want to stay at those inns. They were not safe. They were quite dangerous. And remember, Peter is writing to 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1, to the elect exiles. Those who, because of faith in Christ, have been exiled. They've been kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their neighborhoods, kicked out of their, maybe even their families. So they're exiles. They're suffering greatly. They have no place to call home. And in that context, Peter says, practice hospitality, which means love a stranger. Love a stranger. And that's just a good application of verse 8 with loving earnestly. Understand that these Christians themselves who would extend hospitality were quite poor themselves. So offering food for a stranger, being hospitable to a stranger and giving them food meant that they themselves went hungry. Or offering a stranger their bed to stay in, that meant that that night they didn't have, what, a bed to lay in. The hospitality was costly, and hospitality, that kind of hospitality makes you quickly want to do what? Grumble. Oh, how I wish I could be back in my own bed. Don't they know that, that my back is killing me? I need to be in that bed. Don't they know that my knees are killing me? I need to be in that bed. Or, or I have to make another meal. How long are they going to be staying here for? Right? We begin to grumble and complain don't they know that's my bed, my food, my house? But scriptures say, show hospitality without grumbling. Count the needs of others as more important than yourself, like Jesus did for us. Open your home up. See your home not as a, just a shelter from the world, but a place to do ministry, a place to love others with the love of Christ. Your dining room table your living room, it's a place to do ministry. It's a place to love others, to love even strangers. Your garage, too. I can remember up in, up in Newberry, uh, the service was over. A few of us were around talking. And as, as, the, as we're wrapping up, kind of locking things up, shutting lights off, uh, someone pulled up in their car, which was barely running. It was having a lot of struggle. Uh, they were hurting. They needed help. And this individual in the church who had a nice-sized garage, and who I know that day was planning on working on his own car, he drove that guy over to his house, put that guy's car in his garage, and worked on it all afternoon. That's hospitality. He didn't know that guy from anybody. And he, again, gave up his afternoon of working on his car to work on that guy's car. That's hospitality, isn't it? Or I even think of, this is kind of neat how this happened. You never know what's going to happen in these four walls throughout the week, which is part of what I love about ministry, how the Lord just works things. I had just gotten back from being out visiting a couple weeks ago, and I made my way to the kitchen. It was about 1 o'clock to eat lunch. Well, I hear this loud knocking coming from my office door. I'm amazed I even heard it. Usually I don't hear that. But they were knocking hard. So I made my way back, and here's a couple older couples, I don't know, doing this inside the windows or outside the windows, looking inside the windows. And so I opened the door and said, how can I help you? And it turns out a loved one had recently died. The very next day was the funeral. They needed a place to do the luncheon. Can we use your church? So I invited them in, showed them around the place, talked to them, just kind of listened, and they used it the next day. I love that. Say yes, unless you have to say no, right? Love others with the love of Christ. 
And they were very, very thankful that we did that. We know of that old saying from the old show, Cheers, the bar where everyone knows your name, right? Well, I think the church should be putting the bar to shame in that sense. I think the church of Jesus Christ should be a place filled with former strangers who are welcomed into the family of God with open arms because of the cheerful, powerful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we would love each other with the love of Christ that way, shut those bars down. Come here for community in Christ, which is far better than any drink can ever give you. Amen? Well, the end is near. Glorify God by using your gifts. That's verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And last week, we considered spiritual gifts. I'm not going to say a lot about these verses, and a lot of what Peter says repeats what Paul said in Romans 12. Imagine that, inspiration of the Spirit. The the Bible doesn't contradict. Uh, But Jesus, or Peter here, says in in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, again, that everyone has a spiritual gift. No No one's left out. He also makes plain in these verses that your spiritual gift is not for you. It's for others. Remember how I said it last week? The Spirit has not given you a gift. The Spirit has given the church a gift that he wants to use through you. The gift you have is for the church. He's not giving you a gift. He's giving the church a gift. Use it, use it, use it. That, that, that's the idea. And Peter here very helpfully takes all the spiritual gifts and categorizes them under two headings. Did you catch them in the verses? All the spiritual gifts can be categorized under two headings. A speaking gift or a what? A serving gift, right? You see that in the text? Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Uh, So speaking gifts would be gifts like evangelism, teaching, uh, prophesying, uh, singing and sharing words of praise and testimony. Uh, A great display this morning as everyone was up here singing and praising, using their gift that way for the church, right? And they give up many hours throughout the week to plan and and, and prepare for that. Uh, The the gift of speaking can be one-on-one. Maybe the thought of being on stage speaking scares you to death, but you love one-on-one speaking with people. Maybe the idea of working with toddlers or doing children's church scares you to death, but you love the idea of teaching adults. Or vice versa, uh, you love teaching kids. I want nothing to do with teaching adults. That's how God gifts. It's varied, it's manifold, it's diverse. When it comes to the gift of serving, my goodness, that's, that's the sky's the limit with that. Volunteering to drive kids to camp, volunteering to help host games at Orangeville Day, I snuck that one in there, Orangeville Day, volunteering to serve for that. Josiah had a number of good ways to be serving. The ministry fair has a number of great ways to be serving. Uh, Social media team, secretary, our security team, welcome team, all sorts of teams uh, that just need uh, spirit-filled, spirit-willing servants. Now notice verse 10. As we serve, we are to be good stewards 
of God's varied grace. So just that word, those words, good stewards. What's a steward? Another word for steward is a servant. A servant who was given the responsibility of managing over a household, all the affairs within the household. They were in charge of that house. Knowing that at any moment the master could return and hold them accountable for how they oversaw or managed the affairs of that house. That's what a steward is. God has made you and me stewards of the gift he's given you for the church. And at any moment, any time, he can return and hold us accountable for how we use those gifts. We'll stand before him, and he's going to ask you, and he's going to ask me, Andrew, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Did you use it for your glory or the glory of my name? Did you use it for Orangeville Baptist Church? Did you serve? Were you a good steward? Were you a good steward? Did you multiply it or did you bury it? Those will be some of the things we'll be challenged with, asked by the Lord Jesus Christ. I know when the Lord returns, I want to be able to say, like Paul talks about, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember my dad talking about, as a young boy, probably Titus's age, and it stuck with me. I don't remember most of his sermons, but I remember this sermon where he talked about when he dies, what he wants written on his tombstone is fully followed the Lord. Fully followed the Lord. Which is to say a good steward of the gifts God has given us. Are you a good steward of the gifts God has given you? Orangeville Baptist Church, the end of all things is at hand. The climax of the ages is next in God's program. It's on our doorstep. The curtain is ready to drop. Let that inspire you to serve. You don't need an official position to serve. Peter just worked it out. Be sane and sober. Be praying. Above all, love. Love with every, every, every stretch of your body, every spiritual muscle of your body. Be hospitable. Use your gifts. That's, the end of all things is, is near. That, that, that's, that's what we must do. And, and notice how verse 11 ends. As, as we do that, what, what's the end result of doing that? It says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Isn't that your heartbeat? Isn't that your passion? God glorified at Orangeville Baptist Church. Amen? Turn it around a little bit and just, just think about it this way. Is God glorified by apathy and indifference Is God glorified by mental intoxication and complacency? Is God glorified by prayerlessness? Is God glorified by a lack of love or a lack of using our gifts? Of course he's not. The end of all things is near. And so serve. Serve in these ways. Love in these ways. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Do you believe that? Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe it's next? Man, let that truth motivate you. Put fire in your bones to spend and be spent for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully following the Lord, a good steward of these gifts. May the Lord be pleased to do that in my life and in your life. And that's the joy of being a part of a local church, too. If that sounds overwhelming to you, We're here to love and encourage and support each other, to pray for one another, to build each other up, 
It's not you doing it by yourself. We're a team. Together, as a family. So the ministry fair, that all kind of leads up to the ministry fair. I have a few, a few directions for that. I'll see if I can remember them all. <laughs> so the ministry fair is out in the gym. Again, it's, I can't quite remember. It's anywhere from 20 to 22 different ministries that our church runs throughout, throughout the week, throughout the month. Which, again, I think is incredible that a church this size does that. And that's only happening because so many of you are involved with that. And I just want to emphasize again that, that the two big things we want out of that ministry fair is you're going around learning all that we do and giving thanks and praying for all that we do. Now, the theme this year is, I love my church. And the top three booths get prizes. In fact, they're getting gas cards. Isn't that nice? I tried to think... Hey, I hate going to the gas pump. What would I like to get? I'd like to get a gas card. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. The way how we're going to find out the top three is you guys. So as you make your way back there, my son, Titus, and my daughter, Joy, are going to be standing by the gym door, and they're going to hand you a ticket. And what you do with that ticket is you put it on the table. There's a little glass bowl. Put it in that bowl if you think that one deserves the best prize. Does that make sense? So that way you guys are the judges. It's not me or someone else. It's you guys deciding. And whoever has the most tickets from first, second, third, they get the gas card. Does that make sense? So don't walk in there without the gas card. Or without the, yeah, without the, without the raffle tickets. <clears throat> yeah. I wish we could do that. <laughs> um, a to M. If your last name ends with A to M, what we ask is we don't want to flood the gym all at once either because we can't fit everyone in there all at once. Um, from A to M, the, I think the pizza has arrived. I think I see them setting it up. If you're from A to M, we ask that you go and you stay in this foyer and you eat your food first. Okay? So then N to Z, you guys go straight back there. And if there's someone here who's in a hurry, you've you got to get going, I understand. Go ahead and, and violate that. Just go back there. But for the rest of us, A to M, stay in there and eat. N to Z, head right back there. Okay? And as you go back there, there'll be a piece of paper that you get, a booklet, I should say, that has a description of all the ministries, that has the prayer lists that are on there. I think I, think I hit all of that. I think I got all of that. Um, so what I'm going to do, I don't think there's a closing song. So I'm going to, is there? Okay, there is a closing song. So ministry leaders are already making their way out there, but if, if the worship team wants to make their way up, we'll sing that final song. Uh, and then we will move that direction. So obviously there's no Coffee and Connect today because we got the pizza. That is our Coffee and Connect.
that you have to encourage you to know what it means beyond a shadow of a doubt. Your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life with him. But if you're here and you, you're, you're, I know that, I, I know I, I have faith in Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm trusting in him. I know that Jesus is my salvation. He's my all. He's my everything. I lay down my life for him. Then the rest of the text bears out, okay, then here's how you should be living your life. The end of all things is at hand. Here's what you need to do. Number one, keep sane and sober. Keep sane and sober, because that's, that's what it says in, in the verse. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. You guys know that when it comes to the end times, people tend to respond one of two ways. One way is they lose their minds and they go crazy, and they become fanatics, right? You ever, you ever, maybe you've done that yourself. Uh, you came to faith in Christ, and you heard about the Lord's return, you're so excited about it. It's all you can think about. Uh, you're obsessed with it. Uh, you're preoccupied with it. You get swept away by it. Uh, Millard Erickson calls it eschatomania. Uh, eschatology is the study of last things. So eschatomania, just, just this obsession, this preoccupation with the Lord's return. Uh, so much so that you fail to live out the responsibilities of the present. You're so focused upon that, uh, you miss the here and the now, and you miss opportunities to be serving and to be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, uh, Peter writes, be self-controlled, which is to say, don't panic. Don't freak out. Stay calm. Keep perspective. Let the Word of God ground you. Have a sound mind. Have a biblical perspective. Don't get swept up in emotions and passions. Don't be moved about by your feelings. Again, stay grounded. Be self-controlled, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But then there's another way. We don't become fanatical. We go the other way with it. We're so prone to the pendulum swing, right? So instead of being fanatical, we become complacent. We rarely, if ever, think about end times. We rarely, if ever, think about the fact that the Lord is coming and it's next in his program. It doesn't figure into how we spend our money or use our time or, or live and move and have our being. And we are very complacent. If that's you, in fact, just ask yourself, how often this week did you think about the fact that the Lord could return any day? How often was it on your mind? Was it at all on your mind? Did it, did, was it on your mind as you spent your money? Was it on your mind as, as you did whatever you did, as you're at work, as you're reading? If that's you, if you become complacent, what, Paul, what Peter says in our text is be sober-minded. Now, the opposite of being sober is being what? Drunk, right? Here he says sober-minded, uh, so Peter is warning against mental drunkenness, mental intoxication, uh, being obsessed with things that inhibit spiritual alertness, uh, wasting time thinking about things that have no eternal uh, meaning or value, an addiction to things that, again, inhibit spiritual alertness. That is a major warning for our day and age because we are quite literally, and this is an awesome book if, if you ever read it. It was written quite a few years ago. The guy was something of a prophet way ahead of his time. The book that's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. That was before internet. He wrote that book. He used to talk about TV. We are amusing ourselves to death. We are living in a distracted world. 
We are very much mentally intoxicated, inundated with, with images and information 24-7, right? As it beams at us through our screens. And it causes us to become complacent. We get so fixed on the here and now, we don't think about the eternity before us. And so uh, as we think about the fact that the end is near, we must neither be eschatomaniacs. It's a fun word to say, eschatomaniacs. And we can neither be complacent. We must be sane and sober-minded. What else? We should also be people of prayer. The end is near, so pray. That's what verse 7 says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be sane. Be sober. Don't be an eschatomaniac. Don't be complacent. Be sane. Be sober so that you can stay awake for your prayers, so your prayers can be focused, so you don't daydream and, and flit and float through, through life, that you're focused, you have biblical perspective, you see things as they really are, and so your prayers are laser-focused. And you pray much as, as you see things kind of going crazy and you're prone to want to be worrisome or anxiety-filled. What you do is instead you pray much. You see things as they really are and you desire to pray. Now Peter doesn't tell us what to pray for, but there's a lot of things we should be praying for. And I would say, number one, what we should be praying for is for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded in Scripture, in the Psalms, to pray for the peace of what? Jerusalem, right? We are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Look, there's going to be no peace in Jerusalem until the Lord Jesus Christ returns and sits on his throne in the kingdom of the new, the new Jerusalem. So to pray for the return of Jerusalem is to pray for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read through the book of Revelations, remember how the book of Revelation ends? It ends with John saying, even so, what? Come, Lord Jesus. It ends with a prayer, come, Lord Jesus. And Paul, the apostle, the end of 1 Corinthians 16, he ends that letter by crying out, Maranatha. You ever see churches named Maranatha? Or some days past, there was a, a hymn book or a praise book called Maranatha. You know what Maranatha means? Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. That's, that's, that's the idea. Come, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and so we, we pray for his return. As we pray for his return until that day, we should pray to be alert to Satan who seeks to overwhelm us. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Uh, so as we see that the end of all things is near, we must be aware that Satan is prowling, seeking to devour, to destroy, to divide. And so we pray for ourselves and one another that we might stand firm and resist and glorify the Father as we await the return. We pray that we will endure, that we'll finish the race strong. We pray for our lost loved ones, our co-workers, uh, who have just heard about in verse 5, Jesus is ready to return and to judge, and our hearts immediately are broken and burdened for our lost friends and family and neighbors, yes? So we pray for their salvation, 
they come to faith in Christ as you share the gospel with them, or, or maybe a loved one or a coworker or someone shares the gospel with them. Pray for one another. The end is near. Pray for and with one another. Pray for one another to be sane and sober. Pray for one another to lay hold of God's promises. Pray for one another to have that laser focus that the end of all things is, is near. Pray for that to motivate and inspire and encourage to serve him. Pray for these ministries. Uh, when you guys make your way back there, we have a little pamphlet. Well, it's not little. It's, it's actually pretty thick. Uh, that, that Gina and Brianna, the Lord bless them, uh, worked on many, many hours uh, to get done. So it gives an overview of all of our ministries that are back there. So don't leave without that. But underneath every ministry, there's two or three blank lines with a question that says this, how can I pray for you? So please take that back there with you and go to all those tables and ask them, how can I pray for you? Write those down. We gave you the blank. Let that become a prayer journal. Put that wherever it is you pray. If you pray in the morning or the evening or if you have a prayer journal in your Bible or a journal that you have, put it in there and systematically, faithfully pray for all those ministries. Here's another way to be praying. Tomorrow, Pastor Josiah and myself and Chuck, who's our pastoral intern, we're going to a place called the Oasis over in Richland. And we're going on an all-day prayer retreat tomorrow. And I'm excited about that. And we're going to be praying for one another and praying for the church. And by that, I mean praying for you guys. But I want to know how to pray for you. So I'm going to ask that every single one of you, and I'm up here, I can see you, we got cameras. <laughs> I'm going to ask every single one of you, reach in front of you, grab that prayer card, and write out a way you would like us to pray for you. Please do that. I don't see very many of you doing that. Grab that prayer card and fill it out. I don't care if it's a praise, if it's, or whatever it might be, or, or a, a salvation request, or, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I'm just so excited about this, I've got to tell someone. Whatever you want to put on there prayer-wise, please take that, fill that out. You can leave it where you're sitting. You can give it to me. Or back in the ministry fair room in the gym, there's a table with a, with a little plastic bucket. You can put them in there. Okay? And tomorrow, we're going to pray for you. We pray for you often, but tomorrow is just going to be a really focused day of lifting those things up. So please, please do that. And again, if, if you forget or if you think of something else, oh, I wanted to put that, but I forgot. Again, it's back there also. There's all those sorts of cards. Fill them out. Someone needs a job to fill those in, right? Once we pull all those out, we, we need someone to volunteer to refill those cards. <laughs> That's good. Please, please, please do that so we can pray. So be sane and sober. Be praying. Number three, the end is near. What's verse eight say? Love, right? Above all, keep loving one another. What's it say? Earnestly, right? Since love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe that needs to be your prayer request. Lord, help me to love so-and-so. Help me to love Pastor Andrew. <laughs> help me to love, love the person sitting next to me or behind me. Help me to love, and it knows it doesn't just say uh, like a wimpy love, love earnestly, which has that idea of like stretching every spiritual muscle in your body to love. Love others that way. 
Keep it at full force. Keep it stretched to the limit. Don't slack off on your love. Don't let your love cool. Keep it white hot. Above all, do this, Peter says, right? Why? Because in doing so, you are able to, uh, love was able to cover a multitude of sins. Think about that, right? Where love is lacking, all of a sudden every word that's spoken is viewed with suspicion. Right? If love's not there, then what people say, you begin to have, be suspicious of what they say, or every action people take is, is liable to misunderstanding, those, those kind of things. Conflict begins to abound. Where there's no love, conflict thrives. So above all, stretch every spiritual muscle to the limit to love others because that covers a multitude of sins. Again, without love, we are quick to judge others. Man, I know what you meant when you said that, right? Or I know why you really did that. Right? We start to become suspicious. Without love, we question people's motives. Quite frankly, when we do that, this is, this is probably an ouch, not an amen, that when we begin to do that, we're doing Satan's work for him. Right? When you start uh, being suspicious of people's motives, questioning why they do what they do, uh, Satan is called an accuser, right? He likes to accuse. When we start to, in our minds or even verbally, accuse others of why they do what they do, when, when love is gone, we're doing Satan's work for him. And he can sit back and relax and get a laugh out of all of it, huh? <clears throat> you think you know why so-and-so did it. Christ knows so much better than you do why so-and-so did it. And Christ loves earnestly, so must you and I. Our hearts are dark. We think we know the, the darkness of others, the blackness of others. But Jesus loved us in the blackness of our sin, the darkness of our sin. And so he calls upon us to love earnestly as he has loved us. I heard someone recently say uh, that we have too many touchy people in the church. Too many touchy people in the church who are too easily offended or too easily upset. And when you think about 1 Peter 4, 8, where it says, love earnestly, Christians should not be touchy. Christians should love deeply. It should be very difficult to be offended as a Christian when it comes to our relationships with one another. We should love deeply, love earnestly. Be willing to endure. Not be defensive. Not demand your rights. Be quick to forgive. Don't hold grudges shelter others from condemnation. That's, that's the idea that's there. No touchy-feely Christianity. Love others deeply, sincerely, earnestly. Not easily offended. Well, that's quite a bit already, huh? Sane and sober, praying, loving, earnestly. The next one, what's verse 9 say? Hospitality, huh? To love one another with hospitality. <clears throat> Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Darn it, without grumbling, it says. I thought I could get by that one, but it says, says I can't grumble when I do it. Then we start grumbling about grumbling. <laughs> In Peter's day, there is no holiday inn. 
or Comfort Suites or Radisson or, or whatever. There were inns. Don't get me wrong. There were inns, but you did not want to stay at those inns. They were not safe. They were quite dangerous. And remember, Peter is writing to 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, to the elect exiles. Those who, because of faith in Christ, have been exiled. They've been kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their neighborhoods, kicked out of their, maybe even their families. So they're exiles. They're suffering greatly. They have no place to call home. And in that context, Peter says, practice hospitality, which means love a stranger. Love a stranger. And that's just a good application of verse 8, with loving earnestly. Understand that these Christians themselves who would extend hospitality were quite poor themselves. So offering food for a stranger, being hospitable to a stranger, and giving them food meant that they themselves went hungry. Or offering a stranger their bed to stay in, that meant that that night they didn't have, what, a bed to lay in. So hospitality was costly, and hospitality, that kind of hospitality makes you quickly want to do what? Grumble. Oh, how I wish I could be back in my own bed. Don't they know that, that my back is killing me? I need to be in that bed. Don't they know that my knees are killing me? I need to be in that bed. Or, or I have to make another meal. How long are they going to be staying here for? Right? We begin to grumble and complain Don't they know that's my bed, my food, my house? But scriptures say, show hospitality without grumbling. Count the needs of others as more important than yourself, like Jesus did for us. Open your home up. See your home not as just a shelter from the world, but a place to do ministry, a place to love others with the love of Christ. Your dining room table your living room, it's a place to do ministry. It's a place to love others, to love even strangers. Your garage, too. I can remember up in, up in Newberry, uh, the service was over. A few of us were around talking. And as, as, the, as we were wrapping up, kind of locking things up, shutting lights off, uh, someone pulled up in their car, which was barely running. It was having a lot of struggle. Uh, they were hurting. They needed help. And this individual in the church who had a nice-sized garage, and who I know that day was planning on working on his own car, he drove that guy over to his house, put that guy's car in his garage, and worked on it all afternoon. That's hospitality. He didn't know that guy from anybody. And he, again, gave up his afternoon of working on his car to work on that guy's car. That's hospitality, isn't it? Or I even think of, this is kind of neat how this happened. You never know what's going to happen in these four walls throughout the week, which is part of what I love about ministry, how the Lord just works things. I had just gotten back from being out visiting a couple weeks ago, and I made my way to the kitchen. It was about 1 o'clock to eat lunch. Well, I hear this loud knocking coming from my office door. I'm amazed I even heard it. Usually I don't hear that. But they were knocking hard. So I made my way back, and here's a couple older couples, I don't know, doing this inside the windows or outside the windows, looking inside the windows. And so I opened the door, said, how can I help you? And it turns out a loved one had recently died. The very next day was the funeral. They needed a place to do the luncheon. Can we use your church? So I invited them in, showed them around the place, talked to them, just kind of listened, and they used it the next day. I love that. Say yes unless you have to say no, right? Love others with the love of Christ. 
And they were very, very thankful that we did that. We know that old saying from the old show, Cheers, the bar where everyone knows your name, right? Well, I think the church should be putting the bar to shame in that sense. I think the church of Jesus Christ should be a place filled with former strangers who are welcomed into the family of God with open arms because of the cheerful, powerful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we would love each other with the love of Christ that way, shut those bars down. Come here for community in Christ, which is far better than any drink can ever give you. Amen? Well, the end is near. Glorify God by using your gifts. That's verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And last week, we considered spiritual gifts. I'm not going to say a lot about these verses, and a lot of what Peter says repeats what Paul said in Romans 12. Imagine that, inspiration of the Spirit. The, 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 the Bible doesn't contradict. Uh, but Jesus, or Peter here, says in, in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, again, that everyone has a spiritual gift. No, one, no one's left out. He also makes plain in these verses that your spiritual gift is not for you. It's for others. Remember how I said it last week? The Spirit has not given you a gift. The Spirit has given the church a gift that he wants to use through you. The gift you have is for the church. He's not giving you a gift. He's giving the church a gift. Use it, use it, use it. That, that, that's the idea. And Peter here very helpfully takes all the spiritual gifts and categorizes them under two headings. Did you catch them in the verses? All the spiritual gifts can be categorized under two headings. A speaking gift or a what? A serving gift, right? You see that in the text? Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Uh, So speaking gifts would be gifts like evangelism, teaching, uh, prophesying, uh, singing, and sharing words of praise and testimony. A, A great display this morning as everyone was up here singing and praising, using their gift that way for the church, right? And they give up many hours throughout the week to plan and, and, and prepare for that. Uh, the, the gift of speaking can be one-on-one. Maybe the thought of being on stage speaking scares you to death, but you love one-on-one speaking with people. Maybe the idea of working with toddlers or doing children's church scares you to death, but you love the idea of teaching adults, or vice versa. Uh, you love teaching kids. I want nothing to do with teaching adults. That's how God gifts. It's varied. It's manifold. It's diverse. When it comes to the gift of serving, my goodness, that's, that's the sky's the limit with that. Volunteering to drive kids to camp, volunteering to help host games at Orangeville Day, I snuck that one in there, Orangeville Day, volunteering to serve for that. Josiah had a number of good ways to be serving. The ministry fair has a number of great ways to be serving. Uh, Social media team, secretary, our security team, welcome team, all sorts of teams uh, that just need uh, spirit-filled, spirit-willing servants. Now notice verse 10. As we serve, we are to be good stewards 
of God's varied grace. So just that word, those words, good stewards. What's a steward? Another word for steward is a servant. A servant who was given the responsibility of managing over a household, all the affairs within the household. They were in charge of that house. Knowing that at any moment the master could return and hold them accountable for how they oversaw or managed the affairs of that house. That's what a steward is. God has made you and me stewards of the gift he's given you for the church. And at any moment, any time, he can return and hold us accountable for how we use those gifts. We'll stand before him, and he's going to ask you, and he's going to ask me, Andrew, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Did you use it for your glory or the glory of my name? Did you use it for Orangeville Baptist Church? Did you serve? Were you a good steward? Were you a good steward? Did you multiply it or did you bury it? Those will be some of the things we'll be challenged with, asked by the Lord Jesus Christ. I know when the Lord returns, I want to be able to say, like Paul talks about, well done, good and faithful servant. I remember my dad talking about, as a young boy, probably Titus's age, and it stuck with me. I don't remember most of his sermons, but I remember this sermon where he talked about when he dies, what he wants written on his tombstone is, fully followed the Lord. Fully followed the Lord. Which is to say a good steward of the gifts God has given us. Are you a good steward of the gifts God has given you? Orangeville Baptist Church, the end of all things is at hand. The climax of the ages is next in God's program. It's on our doorstep. The curtain is ready to drop. Let that inspire you to serve. You don't need an official position to serve. Peter just worked it out. Be sane and sober. Be praying. Above all, love. Love with every, every, every stretch of your body, every spiritual muscle of your body. Be hospitable. Use your gifts. That's, the end of all things is, is near. That, that, that's, that's what we must do. And, and notice how verse 11 ends. As, as we do that, what, what's the end result of doing that? It says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Isn't that your heartbeat? Isn't that your passion? God glorified at Orangeville Baptist Church. Amen? Turn it around a little bit and just, just think about it this way. Is God glorified by apathy and indifference? Is God glorified by mental intoxication and complacency? Is God glorified by prayerlessness? Is God glorified by a lack of love or a lack of using our gifts? Of course he's not. The end of all things is near. And so serve. Serve in these ways. Love in these ways. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Do you believe that? Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe it's next? Man, let that truth motivate you. Put fire in your bones to spend and be spent for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully following the Lord, a good steward of these gifts. May the Lord be pleased to do that in my life and in your life. And that's the joy of being a part of a local church, too. If that sounds overwhelming to you, We're here to love and encourage and support each other, to pray for one another, to build each other up. 
It's not you doing it by yourself. We're a team. Together, as a family. So the ministry fair, that all kind of leads up to the ministry fair. I have a few, a few directions for that. I'll see if I can remember them all. <laughs> so the ministry fair is out in the gym. Again, it's, I can't quite remember. It's anywhere from 20 to 22 different ministries that our church runs throughout, throughout the week, throughout the month. Which again, I think is incredible that a church this size does that. And that's only happening because so many of you are involved with that. And I just want to emphasize again that, that the two big things we want out of that ministry fair is you're going around learning all that we do and giving thanks and praying for all that we do. Now, the theme this year is, I love my church. And the top three booths get prizes. In fact, they're getting gas cards. Isn't that nice? Tried to think, hey, I hate going to the gas pump. What would I like to get? I'd like to get a gas card. (laughs) So that's what we're doing. The way how we're going to find out the top three is you guys. So as you make your way back there, my son, Titus, and my daughter, Joy, are going to be standing by the gym door, and they're going to hand you a ticket. And what you do with that ticket is you put it on the table. There's a little glass bowl. Put it in that bowl if you think that one deserves the best prize. Does that make sense? So that way you guys are the judges. It's not me or someone else. It's you guys deciding. And whoever has the most tickets from first, second, third, they get the gas card. Does that make sense? So don't walk in there without the gas card. Or without the, yeah, without the, without the raffle tickets. <clears throat> yeah. I wish we could do that. <laughs> um, a to M. If your last name ends with A to M, what we ask is we don't want to flood the gym all at once either because we can't fit everyone in there all at once. Um, from A to M, the, I think the pizza has arrived. I think I see them setting it up. If you're from A to M, we ask that you go and you stay in this foyer and you eat your food first. Okay? So then N to Z, you guys go straight back there. And if there's someone here who's in a hurry, you, you got to get going, I understand. Go ahead and, and violate that. Just go back there. But for the rest of us, A to M, stay in there and eat. N to Z, head right back there. Okay? And as you go back there, there'll be a piece of paper that you got a booklet, I should say, that has a description of all the ministries that has the prayer lists that are on there. I think I, think I hit all of that. I think I got all of that. Um, so what I'm going to do, I don't think there's a closing song. So I'm going to, is there? Okay, there is a closing song. So ministry leaders are already making their way out there, but if, if the worship team wants to make their way up, we'll sing that final song. Uh, and then we will move that direction. So obviously there's no Coffee and Connect today because we got the pizza. That is our Coffee and Connect.
I'm just giving them so much time to get ready. Isn't that so thoughtful? <laughs> Sorry, sometimes it takes a while. Um, before I, f- I forget to do this, um, I realized after I gave my announcement that I missed kind of an important piece. Um, so I just wanted to make sure I did this because my leaders want me to. <laughs> Uh, and that is the third way that you can serve or help is not by being a full-time every Wednesday helper, but we do need some people to work with meals and um, to work with some things like um, organizing the Walmart store where the kids can use their points to get gifts and prizes. That's a once a, a trimester, like three times a year. So um, There is other options also for you to serve that are not as demanding as being there every time. Um, The other thing is just if you're a parent, there is a calendar for the whole year with all the events on it at each table. So if you're a parent and you want to know what's coming up, um, that's all there for you. If you want to pray through the year, you can grab one. If you want to just pray through the calendar too. I've talked enough. Can we sing? deep and long, how high and wide. And as you leave, may you seek to win the prize and find his death to be your life. May you go in love of your Father God. May you go in the grace of Christ. May you go in the power of the Spirit now. Bring him glory with your life. His very strength for what's to come. And as you leave, may you feel his mighty hand guiding his steps in the race you run. May you go in love of your Father God. May you go in the grace of Christ. May you go in the power of the Spirit now. Bring him glory with your life. As you go, may you show his heart to bless the ones with less, the blind and lost. And as you leave, may you be the light of Christ and show our hope is in the cross. May you go in love of your Father God. May you go in the grace of Christ. Missed.